This conversation with the Pakistani musicians Zeb and Hania is number 15 in an audio series we're calling Another Pakistan, recorded in midsummer 2011. It's a co-production of the Watson Institute at Brown University and the Asia Society. I'm Christopher Leighton in Lahore with Zeb and Hania. They're the Pakistani music stars who went to New England for their college educations, Smith and Mount Holyoke, and came back with a new sound. Some call it Urdu blues, but they also say it's reconnected Pakistanis with their oldest and noblest musical tradition. This is open source from the Watson Institute at Brown University, a musical conversation with both Pakistani and American attitude this time. Zeb and Hania, the riddle for me is how young musicians can absorb so many chords and forms and rhythms of American music and still be embraced as authentic and thrilling back home, not to mention popular. Start at the beginning with your own stories as young women in Pakistan. Hania, how did this happen? How did you happen? How did I happen? That story goes back a long way. Um, no, but um, Zeb and I are first cousins. Our mothers are sisters. So we've, um, we've grown up together. We're just about a month apart in age. And uh, I think I first met her when we were three months old. <laughs> I was two months old. She was three months old. I don't know. And um, so we've grown up together, been in the same cities a lot. And our families uh, always loved music. Um, I remember even as a child, whenever we got together, that's what you did as as family bonding and as having fun together, as sort of being festive together. Mm. Uh, there were either musicians who would come and perform live in in our grandmother's houses, or if, if there were no performers, our uncles would bring out their instruments. There'd be harmoniums and tabla, and um, I think there weren't any guitars back then. Those came about a bit later. But everybody would sing, uh, starting from our grandmothers down to us, who, who would have been about six or seven years old then. I think the first time Zeb performed live was when um, these kavals had come to our grandmother's house. And uh, Zeb actually went up and sang a ghazal with them. And I think mm. she must have been about, what, eight years old? Zeb, what's your version of the story? It's very similar to Hania's. Our grandmother, <laughs> for obvious reasons, um, our grandmother is actually, she had the most beautiful voice, uh, Was um, loved singing and loved all art forms. And she was kind of the matriarch of the family. And when we'd go uh, meet her on, on Eid or for any other holidays, she would make sure that we had some kind of live entertainment at nights. Mm. And a lot of times that ended up being a lot um, the Afghan musicians who, had, had, who were part of the refugee a diaspora coming in, in the early 80s. So uh, we heard a lot of Afghan music, a lot of uh, Pashto folk music. She was also, uh, since she was a poet, she loved ghazals. Um, and she also loved old, very old, sometimes pre-partition music from, um, you know, the, the industry, the film industry. 
uh, Indian film and a lot of Indian music as well. She used to sing very beautifully. So it was it was a, a wide range of music that we we got to listen through her and through her her influences. Where does the Sufi musical tradition come in in your lives? We we, we, we it has a reputation even in the states, but where did you encounter it? Well, it's really a part of everyday living with Sufi music. And I mean nowadays the the term Sufi has become such a such a fad really sometimes. But Sufi people who are generally Sufis don't talk about being sufis a lot of the the philosophy ends up being uh, it's it's about something that's hidden doesn't need to come out so it that music was there it's more a sentiment it's more a thought uh, it's more a, a way of of looking at life and at people through through love and through tolerance mm-hmm. and that's been that's been a part of our experience uh, always i mean we've always had those kinds of sentiments expressed in our folk music in our poetry uh, in the way not even just that even in um, in narratives you know a lot mm-hmm. of times especially when we used to go to our village or go to visit our grandmother when you sit down when women used to sit down they'd always be be talking about about incidents about things and the way you frame them it ends up being if you want to call it that it's a sufi mm-hmm. thought so it's there i mean it's it's everywhere um, but I think one isn't so conscious about it. It's it's more because now uh, I feel that it's more because now Sufism or Sufi music has had to become a category in order to perhaps fight something <laughs> off. But really, it's just been there. It's always been there. And it, it, it has always existed. Was there no line in your growing up between your grandmother's music and your own or between what's called classical or traditional music and what's called pop? We've actually uh, been hearing all kinds of music as children at that time. Actually, until I went to the States, I didn't know what a genre was. Mm. Um, We grew up listening to everything. Uh, Another big influence is film music, both Pakistani and Indian film music. For us, it was just film music, but they have been bringing in influences from everywhere. I I know for sure that uh, Bollywood music of the 40s and 50s had a lot of rock and roll, it had a lot of jazz, it had a lot of Afro-funk, a lot of disco. So we'd heard all these things, we just didn't know what they were. Mm. So if somebody, when I first went to college, if somebody said, have you heard jazz, I'd say no. But then when I'd hear it, I was like, oh, I've heard this. So, Yeah, I, th- that is really interesting because even I wasn't aware, um, I think because there wasn't any market that was selling us this music. Uh, to be honest, we heard a lot of this, um, I mean, a lot of the Western music that we heard came to us through like these little piracy, you know, operations <laughs> where you would buy a cassette for like 25 rupees and you would get anything and everything. Well, on you it. can admit it now. The statute of limitations has run, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. They're safe now. Okay, okay, fine. So, um, so now, uh, so, so when I went to the States, I had no idea that a certain artist was associated with a certain lifestyle, a certain philosophy, a certain, you know, if, if, if you liked Suzanne Vega, it didn't mean you were a certain kind of person with certain politics. It, or, you know, if you like, I, I just, they were just songs for us. Mm-hmm. And I guess in that way, we just owned them in our, in our own context, and completely oblivious of what, what, the, what their, the context in which they were uh, kind of um, uh, made or, or sold to other people. So... This is the way Thela Kuti discovered Miles Davis, right? That's right. That's so we right. call open source music. Open source music, yeah, and it's it it really helped. I mean, it helped us a lot because we uh, today a lot of people ask us about genres, and we really don't have one. 
and it's and uh, initially it was a little embarrassing because when we first came into <laughs> the industry everyone would be like so what do you do and we're like i don't know songs <laughs> <laughs> but now it's actually really really exciting because we really embrace that and each song you know sometimes demands its own genre and so we go with that but there still are places and maybe pakistan is one cuba surely brazil i believe in which there's no stratification of pop or high or low or this generation's music or teeny bopper music. It's music. Mm -hmm. And the great ones are acknowledged in all the fields and everybody knows the songs. Yeah, the industry isn't as developed here, but I would say that that is true here as well. I mean, if there's a good song, it doesn't matter whether it's in the folk genre or in the rock genre and the pop genre. Everyone will everyone will know it. A pop, a hit is a hit, you know. It doesn't, and everyone (laughs) loves it. So it's like that. Hania, how do you know a great song? I was I was just about to add to what Zeb said. Um, In in our music, I think the primary feature is the melody. And that comes from our traditional classical music of the region, which is both North India and Pakistan. And wh- whether you're playing a metal song or a rock song or a folk song, as long as your your melody is, I don't know, I'd say complex enough or, or sweet enough uh, to appeal to the people of the region, then it's mm. going to be popular. I mean, it doesn't really matter what genre you're coming from. It's just what melody you're bringing in. And yet we're sitting next to your drum set too. Uh, <laughs> rhythm are. counts. Rhythm definitely counts. Uh, talk about it. Well, I mean, coming from, I, I suppose our music would, one of the main sources it'd be coming from would be the classical music of the region. Uh, it's not big on harmonies. Uh, your central feature is one voice, which is the soloist's voice, which is mm. ordinarily the vocalist. Uh, otherwise, it might be a sitar or a sarod, which is a string instrument or, um, or a flute almost never have a percussion instrument as the solo instrument. I mean, it has changed since Zakir Hussain, perhaps since his father a little bit. But since we take from everywhere, I mean, we love Western African uh, pop music and folk music. We love Brazilian and Cuban music. And that's all about syncopation. It's all about layering rhythms. So if you bring that and combine it with sort of the importance of the melody in our music, you get something really exciting. And that's what we're trying to do. And still I suspect there's a hierarchy. American music, as you're talking about it, begins with Louis Armstrong. Chano Pozo in Cuba, I think of as the ultimate drummer. Um, Walk us through the Hall of Fame of Pakistani music. (laughs) Okay, fine. The beginning, the middle, the end. Okay. Where we're going. So again, uh, the, the line was really blurred for us when we were growing up. So I, I can't, it wasn't, because if we're talking about influences, we were we were uh, kind of consuming a lot of music, think, 
thinking it was our own. And only like, you know, in our mid-20s, we were told that, oh, no, you can't really claim this as your influence because it's it's from o- across the border. You mean you but, thought Elvis Presley was a Pakistani? Uh, well, yeah, we're at heart. Well, we thought the Beatles were. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, growing up, what we heard a lot of were the Beatles. And I mean, I think we used to all get to, especially when, on, on the road to Peshawar, the Magical Mystery Tour would be on. We'd all be screaming along to it. Um, then, uh, you know, then we had uh, Shamshad Begum was big, Mehdi Hassan, who's a uh, Farida Khanum, Abda Parveen, who's a Sufi singer. Um, then uh, a lot of uh, Hindi music. Then a Queen was a big fa- favorite in the family, uh, the band Queen. Mm. Um, How did Abda Parveen and her famous sound come into your life? Well, I, uh, she was one of the most um, amazing performers and uh, women, uh, uh, female musicians while we were growing up. And what was really, really kind of interesting about her was that, you know, uh, uh, we only had PTV at the time growing up, just one um, channel, terrestrial channel. And there were, there were all these really glamorous, beautiful women, you know, divas in their own right coming on TV. And then there would be Abda Parveen who would be wearing her traditional uh, Sindhi Ajrak, very short hair, you know, kind of almost androgynous looking. Mm-hmm. And and she would she would always be seated while performing and she would just be going crazy and the crowd would be going crazy, mm-hmm. dancing along with her and, you know, very powerful voice and... Mm-hmm. Very, uh, very, very effective performer, and then um, I remember I've had I've had the privilege of seeing her perform several times, and I still have yet to come across someone who has who can command that kind mm. of uh, you know uh, kind of response from any audience. And I saw it. Uh, it was the most interesting thing was I saw this happen. Uh, in uh, in in New York last year, so we'd seen her in 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 Pakistan several times, and of course Pakistanis know her music. A lot of what she sings is uh, Sufi kalam, so you know people respond to it very naturally, very organically. But what was interesting was that we uh, we all. A bunch of us opened for her at this uh, part of the Su- the Sufi festival last year in Union Square. And uh, the square was maybe three-fourths filled, and I did my part, and because I was interested in hearing her, I, as soon as we were done with our set, we ran out, mm-hmm. and we actually ran out of the square and stood on the other side of the road next to this cafe where I had a bunch of friends waiting for me. And I saw firsthand that when she sat there, as she sat, she got on stage, she just struck her first note, mm-hmm. and I saw people walk by the, walk by the square turn back and these are not um, you know south asian people these were people from all over just just mm-hmm. normal new yorkers um, not south asians walk walk past her turn around and join the crowds and within 2 or 3 minutes the entire square was overflowing with people mm-hmm. and i you know people started coming the, the security uh, um, personnel started coming and you know make, organizing the crowd and so forth and everyone was up um, was dancing and mm. having a grand time, and she has she does command that kind of presence. So this then, is what this is what the Spaniards call duende. Duende, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she has duende. <laughs> <laughs>
the Shia, the Shia tradition, um, music is always, um, it, it, the, you, you will always find people to be a, a very kind of um, artistic and very refined in certain ways. And uh, also musically, they're, they're very, very sophisticated. And that is because they have, uh, you know, certain, um, like in, in, in the month of Muharram, they actually recite uh, the story narrate the story of what happened to the prophet and his and his family and they kind of recreate that through in, in a very theatrical very moving and very musical way so a lot of them you know being a good singer being able to emote all of that it's it's very and it's 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 part of their religious tradition mm-hmm. and um uh, even in abida parveen's case she a lot of her uh, well i think she primarily sings uh, songs that are kind of for Hazrat Ali, and that is that is, that is the that is what they say. I mean that that mm. is kind of um, tale around her that she uh, she she had decided at a very young age that she would only sing. She wouldn't sing for the world. She would sing only spiritual songs. Mm. And I know for a fact, because when we went to India, we were told that she's been given many offers for films, for commercial music, you know, outside of this tradition. But she she wants to kind of stick within this spiritual um, song realm. That was Mahali Jackson's story, too. She did not sing commercial music. But you also just remind me of the tradition of the black church. So much black. American music, including rhythm and blues, comes out of the church. And people like Sarah Vaughan, I'd say my favorite girl singer, as the band singers were known, uh, grew up in a church in Newark, and that's where she learned the songs that become the tradition. And then, of course, there are the songs that cross over. Famous black church song called He Touched Me. He is God or Jesus. And it became a big Barbara Streisand hit. And he is the guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that whole crossover must be a universal kind of tradition of the spiritual roots in a popular, in a popular music. It's what people call soul, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what reaches out across borders and across languages. And that, Thank it, you. that occurs mostly, <laughs> I'd say, in religious music because that's where people are feeling the most strongly and sort of channeling channeling something hmm. i wonder what your test is of orthodoxy shall we speak or what's what's right in the eyes of the almighty in the context of pakistan i think that question becomes very different and very interesting um because uh, what you're talking about uh, orthodoxy in terms of um african american churches and african american christianity uh, would be gospel music, and I mean there is a tradition of that music uh, in the religion. Uh, whereas in Pakistan, Zeb was just saying in the Shiite traditions, music does play a role in religion. But in your um, modern day Sunni orthodoxy, or what people would call Sunni orthodoxy, music doesn't play a role at all. Hmm. So um, I mean, you couldn't find it if you looked for it. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. There are, you find so many musicians who will who will give up commercial music for God, and then you'll find so, you'll find a bunch of musicians who've given up music for God. So these two young Pakistani women, steeped in the Pakistani tradition, with a lot of the Beatles thrown in, come to New England, and then what happens? 
Yeah, I think Napster happened <laughs> because I was I'm I'm very I'm not very good with technology at all, but it was the first time that A because I was very very homesick initially and um I wanted to kind of reconnect with, you know, uh, music from back home. So I started mm-hmm. going to the internet to find music because I didn't have money to buy CDs. And then I discovered Napster. And through Napster, I started listening to some of the stuff, you know, some of the Western stuff that I'd heard growing up. And from that, you know, the whole world opened up. <laughs> and Napster was great because you could also kind of chat with people whose... Um, Whose whose song lists you liked or were mm. similar to yours? So I ended up making friendships on online as well, and it was really nice. It was really good to kind of share music. The world opened up, and 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 what sounds burst into your consciousness? I think a lot of um, say a lot of jazz, a lot of jazz, because a lot of people who had uh, classical music on their lists also had a lot of like jazz on their lists um then uh, brazilian music i heard for the first time in college then also you know bands like fish and like a lot of canadian bands that i had never really heard of mm-hmm. so i heard a lot of uh, you know obscure bands like that and then also we had the most amazing experience we uh, ended up watching suzanne vega in concert <laughs> and we both such huge fans so that that was really exciting that was really exciting where did you see Suzanne Vega Iron, the Iron Horse there's an American musical education right there at the Iron Horse absolutely oh and one thing that I forgot to mention was that completely kind of fascinated me I was so excited was acapella the acapella tradition which you know American colleges have have a great a cappella groups and on a orientation day i heard the nice shoes uh, one of um, uh, mount holyoke's very good a cappella groups perform mm. and i felt completely in love with it <laughs> and i tried out uh, for all the a cappella groups i think 3 years in a row and i always got rejected until um cuz i couldn't read or write music and i never you know sang with other singers uh but the, but in the end we we did a few songs we made our own a cappella group with the south asian uh, community and we kind of sang we we did a pakistani song by nazia hassan <laughs> called aap jaisa koi and so that was really fun mm. and i think we also got really really lucky because we were in such a great the pioneer valley was such a wonderful place to be in mm. there was all kinds of great world cultural activities and mm. and that really helped that really helped kind of you know hone our aesthetic and but very very uh, sort of subconsciously i mean we we weren't looking to be musicians at that time we weren't collecting influences as such but we were just so excited to be in a place like that and mm. to have everything open to you right i mean you can listen to or uh, engage with any kind of music possible and it was just a very very exciting time i think for both of us It must be hard to keep that sort of musical sensibility without labels and without borders and without limits because so few people do it and yet the best musicians do do it. It's uh it's interesting you say that because we uh, a couple of years ago signed on with uh, with an uh, online record label and uh they wanted a description of our music <laughs> and sort of the guidelines were don't say it's different <laughs> Don't say it's it doesn't follow any genre because that's what everybody says and nobody's impressed. <laughs> Just go with something and then we'll sort yes. the rest out later. What did you settle on? Uh I pff, 
I, everything that all our friends had ever said, which was again uh, Urdu blues, art, folk, Lahore hip hop, or something. Ethnic blues. I think that's one of the ones that I like best. Hmm. But it's not necessarily accurate. It just sounds nice. And then you brought it home. This is the even greater miracle, it seems to me. You brought it home and you made people like it. Actually, no. Actually, what happened was that we had made the, a couple of songs and literally, I mean, it was out of sheer boredom and being uh, um, stranded and, and broke uh, in, in my, uh, there was a blizzard happening outside our, my, uh, in the college and there was, it was fall break, yeah. And we didn't have, we didn't have anywhere to go. So Hanya just came over to my uh, campus. We got stranded there. We had no money, went downstairs to the um, uh, to, to get something from the vending machine and we stumbled upon an old abandoned old bookstore. Hmm. So Hanya had just t- taken some guitar lessons and she's like, let's play guitar here. <laughs> I was like, great. And we started telling each other spooky stories, got scared. And then just to get ourselves to feel a little kind of less scared, we started making songs and that's where hmm. Chup came out of. Uh, and uh, after that, on Hanya's computer mic, we recorded a few songs, which she sent off to friends. Um, during the summer vacations, we came here, and a friend's friend's friend had <laughs> had uh, was a big producer, mm-hmm. and he called us over. He heard he heard the song, and literally just uh, pushed us into, shoved us into the the recording booth, and half an hour later. Gave us a, gave us a cassette with those two songs recorded, completely acoustic. Mm. So that was it. We had done it. We were excited, and we we're going to go back to college and share those recordings with our friends. And we went to college and did our own things. And he was studying computer science. I was studying economics. We came back and found out they were they were on the radio. It was really interesting because actually the first demographic to pick up our music was Pakistani students all over the U.S. Yeah. Uh, the college mm. network, I think the email and internet had really picked up by then. And uh, I'd made a website because I was a computer science major. And I put them up there and I had uh, Pakistani students from all over North America starting to email and and the downloads went berserk. And I think they're the ones who eventually got back to people in Pakistan and that's how it yeah. came here. What was it people loved, do you think? I'm still not too sure. Um, the only thing that I've sort of realized that works is if you yourself have faith in the music, uh, if you yourself like it, that somehow communicates itself to people. I think there has to be a sincerity. Mm. Uh, and if the sincerity comes across, you're definitely going to find at least you know, a small audience who will relate to your work, not just listen to you, but actually engage with it and relate to it. I'd love to hear one of your songs in which Pakistanis hear Pakistani roots of any kind. Well, we have a song that Hanya wrote for Islamabad. It's called the Islamabad song, and it's based on on a very popular rag called Rag Eman uh, subcon- of the subcontinent. So... We have American rags, too, but that's something else. No, it's, uh, it's completely different. <laughs> Our rags come from Scott Joplin. Where do, you, where do your ragas come from? Even the word. Um, I think the word raga is probably Sanskrit and uh, because we, we share this uh, classical music with sort of the Indian region, and that's where it comes from, probably from uh, Hindu mythology. There's a lot to do with the drama, uh, music, dance that comes from uh, 
ancient Hindu mythology. It's probably the roots, huh? why this fusion works so well in music and it's so hard to imitate in politics sincerity <laughs> <laughs> there's sincerity in music there's very little ulterior motive there's just the appreciation for everything that you're drawing everything you're giving there's mutual respect uh, I don't find any of these things in politics mm. East and West and harmony and respect and audiences all over the world. I mean, there's got to be a model here somewhere. I think cultural exchange is a model, I feel, but like sincere, sincerely be, be, being able to um, appreciate, because the, any any cultural form is kind of, it, it's, it, it has all of one's values and, you know, society, all of that is latent within any kind of real cultural expression. And so I think when one can connect to each other's cultures, one can actually connect to each other. In, and and the, the, like, for instance, if you look at India and Pakistan, despite the fact that the two countries, you know, are daggers drawn and then sometimes they're trying to get together, whatever the politics of the region might be, you cannot run away from the fact that, you know, any time there is a, a, any musician that comes out in the Pakistani market, l- millions of Indians across the border will not only find out about them, but will appreciate them, go out of the way to, way to come onto their Facebook pages and mm. appreciate them and, you know, connect with them. Similarly, um, even in the worst of times, mm. there's, a, there's a film that comes uh, out in Bollywood and Pakistanis will be will will be out in throngs buying that dvd whether it's pirated whether they have to go watch it in in mm. in um, cinemas they want to connect that's because we have that cultural shared cultural uh, history we keep our eye on that west east divan orchestra that daniel barenboim leads made up of israelis and jordanians yeah, 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 yeah. and egyptians and palestinians mm-hmm. north africans of all stripes and he's explicitly political about it. Yo-Yo Ma is not explicitly political, but I think he knows what he's doing when he opens up the truth that music comes from everywhere, that the forms in thousands and thousands of years have been exchanged back and forth. Nobody really owns it for all the claims of intellectual property, you know, uh, that Bach's sarabans come originally from exotic and erotic dances in North Africa, that it's all one, it's all one treasury we're, we're drawing on. Absolutely. And I think what's happened uh, recently is that, of course, there is, there's all these questions of, say, 
individual rights, but there's also this question of national rights. Mm. So finding, trying to find what part of culture is yours, you know, as a nation. And that is really problematic because culture is is again it's it's so fluid it's so open it's been evolving and you've had shared histories with with regions not with nations so or within nations so mm-hmm. it's uh, so that's uh, that for us has been very uh, kind of problematic because people will say so what is this would you say this is pakistani is this pakistani i mean if it exists in pakistan it's pakistani but that doesn't mean that it's not connected to anywhere else or it's not rooted you know anywhere else all over the world. How do you feel about representing Pakistan? You'll have a big American tour in 2012. You'll be there in October 2011. Uh, and these are the girls from Pakistan. Uh, I mean, what, what goes through your head, among other things, being called girls? <laughs> um, well, we are. <laughs> Both. We're girls and we're Pakistani. Uh, I I would have been quite bothered uh, with it about two three years ago, hmm. um, which is the first time that this started happening. Uh, because initially we didn't expect to be the product; we thought the music would be the product, but that didn't happen. Uh, we were packaged and we were branded. You know, it was it was us that people wanted to put out there as opposed to the music. Um, but uh, over the past year or so, uh, I think I've personally begun to realize that it is important. Uh, and I, I really do believe uh, that uh, culture and art specifically is the solution mm. to the mess that politics is creating. I think where politics dehumanizes, art has the completely opposite effect. And I think just by virtue of being there and by virtue of being on stage and saying what we say and doing what we do, uh, even if we don't specifically address the, the questions that are in people's minds, mm. I think uh, we'll probably help uh, bring a little bit of change i mean yeah i mean we just hopes that if you if you i mean if we get up on stage and we we sing a song and someone enjoys it in that moment that in itself you know means a lot because you share a kind of a, a nice experience with someone so yeah. that's really really important for yeah. me also just to, even if, even if it's just within that moment you know someone could say oh i had fun <laughs> at this concert you know if somebody later mentions pakistan if one person can say oh i saw a pakistani up on stage singing a song which completely negates everything else that anyone else has seen on tv or read in the news i think i think it's worth doing take us out on a song that means a lot to you just tell us why uh, well, this song, it's, it's one of our oldest songs, and uh, it's actually the song that started us off. This is the one we wrote in uh, Zabe's dorm, and uh, that went up on the internet, came back home, got us in the papers, and got us to record our album. So, the beginning, really. Uh, so, this, this, is, uh, this is Chup, which means hush in Urdu.
Zabin, honey, uh, thank you so much. Here's to being lonely in the Pioneer Valley in Massachusetts and what that can do for the world. It's a great privilege to sit with you in your studio in Lahore. It's a great pleasure to watch your work and your progress. Maybe we'll see you over there. Ben Mandelkern produced and edited this conversation in Lahore with the musicians Zeb Bangash and Hania Aslam. Our series, Another Pakistan, is a co-production of the Watson Institute and the Asia Society. Zarmine Ansari is our producer in Pakistan, thanks also to Bina Sarwar of the Jung Media Group. The conversations continue from South Asia and also online. Listeners, please feed back your views, your Pakistan, with a comment on our website, radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leiden. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Conversation. Muskurah.